Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone. You know today's guests from One Tree Hill, Pretty Little Liars, Chicago Med, The Vampire Diaries, and a lot more. Here's Tori DeVito. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Hi, Tori. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Are you in Chicago or in Michigan? I'm in Michigan right now because I read that you have a farm there. Is that right? I do. It's an inactive farm at the moment because I've never been here full time, nor have I ever thought I was going to live here full time. But I have a barn. I have the whole thing. I just have to figure out what to do with it. You have to tell me about this journey. It sounds like a dream. It's honestly amazing. And right now I'm actually living here full time. Like I wasn't ready to go back to LA or anything. So I'm just living here until I don't want to anymore. And it's amazing. It's so quiet. It's so peaceful. It's so dark at night, which took a little bit of getting used to. I kind of wanted to make it into like a dog hospice, but I'm not really sure yet. And honestly, like I'm in an adult tap class here. (laughs) And we have a recital in May. And my mom was like, no. I was like, yes. (laughs) And I'm so excited about it. That is awesome. Yeah. So I've just been like ingratiating myself in this like very small town and it's been so much fun and I love it so much and it's nowhere I thought I would be right now, but I'm loving it. How did you end up there? My mom is originally from Michigan and I did this show Chicago Med for like six years and she's a two hour drive from there when I was in Chicago. And this little town she lives in, it's right on the water. It's very artsy, cute, cute town. And I fell in love with it. And then when like COVID happened, I was thinking to myself, well, I don't really want to go back to LA. I don't want to go back to New York. Like, where do I want to be? I don't want to stay in Chicago. And I was like, maybe I just want to plop in Michigan for a while. And I wanted to have a property that I could like pass down in my family for generations to come and just somewhere that if the zombie apocalypse happens, all my friends can just live at my farm. Can I be your new friend? Yes. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So did you like tour properties and fell in love with this place? I did. It took a while with this place. I mean, I love the land, but it used to be a wedding venue. And when I tell you that it was so not cute on the inside, it was like church basement flooring and like that linoleum and things were like falling apart. There were hot tubs from like the 80s in there that don't work. Like there was a hot tub in a closet. I was like, what is happening? That feels like a little like nudisty <laughs> or like right? what is the history here? Exactly. What exactly is going on here? So I definitely had to have some vision and I love it now. And I go through a lot of ups and downs. You know, I had like a whole plumbing situation because it's an old farmhouse. So I was like, oh my God, what did I do? And then when everything's fixed, you fall back in love with it again. You know what I mean? Totally. And I can relate to like wanting after like having been in Los Angeles for 20 plus years, 
that need for, I wouldn't call it isolation, but for whatever that sense of home is that LA hasn't provided me. Exactly. And I think as of late, when I was going back to LA, because I was working in Chicago for so long, I just felt like, I felt like it was just different. It felt different to me lately. And I don't know why. And I don't know what happened, but I'd been there for 20 years as well. And I was kind of like, they said to move on. Yeah. Not a lot shoots here anymore. Yeah. And maybe it's also like age. I'm 46. Like I'm not clubbing. Right. I'm not going to Nintendo launch parties. <laughs> right. Right. Not going to Spider Club on the weekend. Totally. <laughs> I know. And I honestly feel like we got the best time of LA back then. From what I've seen, it's not really the same anymore. And I feel really grateful and lucky that I had LA when I had it because I felt like it was pretty good. I was too new to the town, but it felt like looking back sort of just like self-absorbed indulgence. Exactly what it was. <laughs> I wanted to ask you the challenges of being on an hour-long procedural show. I mean, I was on a half-hour show for seven years. It was an incredible experience, but not without, of course, extreme intensity. But that was just a half-hour show. I can't imagine the hours that you worked and even the dialogue. I would imagine mostly practicality and moving plot forward. So therefore, characters may be lost. I don't know. Will you tell me about some of those ideas? Yeah, you know what? I think the last thing you said was, honestly, the hardest part of it for me was finding that excitement and that fresh energy when you know, a lot of times when you're on these procedurals, the guest stars have the fun stuff to do. And also like kind of the most terrifying and demanding. Yes. When I say fun, yes. I meant actor fun. Let me clarify. Yeah. Where you get to dive in. And, you know, a lot of times when you play a doctor on a show, I mean, I loved that role and I loved that show. But it was like, you know, well, we'll be back to check on you shortly. It's like, how many different ways can I say that line? You'd hear your old acting coach in the back of your head saying, you know, it's your job to make it interesting every time. And I'd be like, oh, God. So that was one of the biggest challenges I felt was keeping it new and fresh every day. And the hours were pretty long, but because we were a medical show, we were indoors most of the time, which really helped. And we also had a nine cast show. So that really helped as well. So yes, the hours were long, but they weren't like doing a horror movie where you're doing night shoots every weekend and killing yourself during the week. There was a little bit of normalcy with the show, which I think people don't expect me to say. When you were talking about like sort of line delivery as a doctor, it occurred to me, it is your job to be measured, to essentially not let a patient know your own take on things, to essentially be impartial. Yeah. And that was interesting, too, because we did a lot of training with the real doctors and the real doctors will say, well, we would never run into a treatment room. We would never this and that. But then the show would be like, but we also want the drama. So, right. Yes. Keep it real. But do this for us. So it was like finding that blend all the time of wanting to like be true to who doctors are, because that's the comments you get from all the time. Like, the doctor's like, oh, that would never happen. Or, oh, that was really real. And you're like, oh, my God, best compliment ever. And for the times that they were like, that would never happen. You're like, I, well, I didn't I didn't write it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm just the face and the vocal ability here. I don't know. 
I wanted to ask you how your childhood, your unusual childhood, feels formative to you. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because everyone's like, oh my God, how was that? And it's like, it's the only thing I knew. I can't imagine having parents that were doctors or that really wanted me to go to college or, you know what I mean? Like that to me felt so foreign or, you know, camping trips or going to sporting events and things like that. Like that, I'm always like, God, what was that like? What kind of life is that? But yeah, I feel really grateful, I guess, that me wanting to do this, you know, I had parents that were obviously very supportive. Can I interrupt you? Will you tell our listeners who your parents oh, are? Yes. Do you mind? No, of course. So my father's Liberty DeVito, he played drums with Billy Joel for 30 years. So I grew up going on tour with him when they would do world tours and stuff. And that's just kind of like where I grew up. And that's where I found my love for music. Billy had a violinist on one of the tours on the Stormfront tour. And I was just like totally enamored with her and wanted to play violin But yeah, my dad and my mom were just so supportive when I wanted to go to a professional children's high school and graduate school early and move out to LA. Like it was kind of the natural progression in my family. So when I talked to a lot of other actors and my friends that were like, well, my parents, you know, they really wanted me to go to college first and they were really nervous. They're like, how were your parents? And I was like, my parents all but shipped me out to LA. They were like, yes, go. You have our blessing. (laughs) So yeah, I can see how from the outside, it was a very interesting childhood. You know, lots of music around our house, lots of loud music. And the idea at a young age being so transitory. Yeah, which is so funny because I feel like, you know, as an actor, we're moving around all the time. I mean, when we're lucky, the suitcases are out. Yes, (laughs) we're lucky when they're out. And then it's like, you know, you never really unpack your toiletry bag. That's always full sitting on your counter. And so I think growing up, always traveling around, always doing that kind of stuff and then doing that in my adult years. It's so funny because I'm somebody that craves like just to stay home. This is where it comes back to your farm. Yes. And like that sense of home that you have found. Exactly. You have two sisters. Is that correct? I have three sisters. Three sisters. Do you mind my asking your order? Sure. So I have an older sister named Devin. She's 42. And then I'm 38. And then I have a little sister, Marielle, 34. And then I have a baby sister named May, who's six. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> I know. Whenever we're together, people are like, your daughter, your niece. I'm like, no, my sister. She's my sister. <laughs> I'm interested in sibling relationships because I have an older brother And we're really close now, but in my memory, a really contentious relationship growing up. He was like my worst enemy. Tell me about like your relationship with your sisters in that way. Were you guys all tight? How did that go down? So my older sister had a different mom, so she didn't live with me and my little sister. We're all so close. So, so close. Even the six-year-old, which... Obviously, I was so excited when I found out my dad and his wife were pregnant, but I couldn't imagine that I would have that kind of connection with a sibling that had such a huge age gap with me. But we are so connected in a way that I can't even explain. But growing up, the sister that I did live with, my sister, Marielle, I joke all the time, like she's like the love of my life, my soulmate, like we're best friends. I don't know what I would do without my sister. We almost killed each other. Until I was 18 and left the house. Like, I remember actually picking up like a metal Febreze bottle and chucking it as hard as I could at her head. And she just missed it. 
or her chasing me around the house with a butcher knife. Like, yeah, we almost killed each other. And it's kind of amazing how as siblings you can have that and then you can also be so close and then you can also grow out of it and almost look back at that and laugh like there's no way you can have that with a friend. So true. It's so fascinating to me. Will you tell us about your activism? Yeah, for sure. I think it all started, I was like 24 and I started doing a show called One Tree Hill and I was really excited because I felt like I was doing a show that people actually saw. That shot in North Carolina, right? Yeah. In Wilmington. Wilmington. Yes. Because I shot an independent in Wilmington after One Tree Hill had left and all of the crew, like it was all One Tree Hill talk. It really felt like in that sense, it kind of defined that town at that time. Oh, for sure. It was everywhere. Like they owned the town, it felt like. But it was interesting because it was the first time I was on a show that was like very popular and, you know, had people that hadn't gotten a bunch of fame from the show and this and that. And I had never been in that kind of environment because ironically, growing up around, you know, people like Billy Joel or Elton John and my mom's best friend is Stevie Nicks and growing up around it in my eyes, were like family members. So I never saw that, for lack of a better word, like star side of them. And also when people had egos, I was like, wait, what? Like it was all so confusing and it actually became very depressing because I was like, ew, like what are we really doing here? Like, you know, I grew up around people who are like changing music and this and that. And I didn't see the egos from them. Whether other people have experiences with them, I didn't see because I was a kid. I felt really lucky to have seen just the humility and family side of these people. And so I took that into L.A. And everything else I saw in L.A. was the antithesis of that. Right. It's like, I got a boat. You want to go out on my boat? Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Where am I? What's happening? And I felt so depressed. And then it was the first time I realized when you're on set all the time, you're like indoors, in reconditioned air. You're not seeing the outside. And I was like, okay, this is what I love and I want to be doing. But if I don't find something outside of this to keep myself tethered to something that's real, I'm going to like crumble. I'm never going to survive in this business. So that's when I started hospice volunteering, which I felt completely in love with. And I did inpatient care for like eight years or 10 years, maybe. That is hugely impressive. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. And also the idea that like the depressive quality of sort of young actor ego led you to hospice care. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. All my friends and family, they're like, okay, so you're already a little depressed and now you're going to go work with people that are dying. Is that going to And it was so the opposite. Like it just gave me this light in my life. It reminded me of what's real. Like when you sit with someone who's dying, they talk about who they loved, who they didn't love, and they wish they would have loved, you know, express family and travel. They didn't talk about their jobs, their success, their money. Like it was always about those things. So to me, it just kind of was this like tethering thing in my life that kept me connected to what I felt was real. And so I was like, okay, I can do this with this balance. And then from there, I started working with like doing a lot of animal activism because I was vegetarian. And then from that, I watched this documentary called Audrey and Daisy one night, probably like six years ago. And it was about these girls who had been sexually assaulted in high school. And I was so fired up after it that I actually found them and made contact with them. And they had started an organization called Safe Bay. And I've been working with them ever since. And I realized that, you know, as a young girl, 
especially in the age that we grew up in, was like, you know, that don't tell, just push it aside. Somebody heckling you is a compliment, you know, all those things. And after like learning all the things that I did about these young girls and learning stuff about assault and consent that I didn't even know about in my 20s and in my 30s, I was like, okay, no teenager is ever going to cross my path that's not going to learn this information. And so that has kind of been my main, main focus right now is working with Safe Bay. And we go to schools. I go to schools all the time. We go every year, do like a school tour. We give these students our curriculum, answer questions. And I get to be very candid about my high school experience and how I wish somebody had taught me my boundaries and taught me my rights that I didn't know. And these kids are so much cooler than any of us were because they're so empowered with so much more knowledge that I ever had when I was their age in high school. And so it's just that to me, like, so lights me up these days is like talking to these kids and working with these kids. Will you tell us what you would tell the kids about your high school experience? Yeah, basically for me, I always tell them, I'm like, you know, I had a lot of experiences in high school where I would find myself in situations that I knew in my gut I didn't want to be in, but I was afraid not to be liked. I was afraid that the guy wouldn't like me. I found myself in an experience. I had a crush on this guy who was older. He came over with his friend and they attempted something that I was so naive and I really got upset. And luckily for me, they left the house. Nothing happened, but I think they were afraid I was going to say something. So they spread around the whole school that I had had a threesome with them and I was 15 years old. Oh, how painful. It was so painful and the whole school believed it. I even left that school, not because of that, but because I started working, which I think a lot of people know, even when you start working in this industry at a young age, that puts a target on your back anyways. So the combination of that, and I remember I went to a different school that was 30 miles away from this school. And on the first day I was there, this guy was like, oh, hey, you're the girl that got no. tag teamed by those two guys. At that point, I was just like, yep, that's me. I didn't know what to say. It was just like this rumor that had followed me and I never did it. And nobody really stood up for me, I think, because everybody was so afraid of being liked. And they were the most popular guys in school. And they were the star quarterback and this and that. And there was so much protecting around that, that I remember one of their friends saying to me, you know, whether I believe you or not, they're my boys. And I was like, okay, whatever. Damn. So then when I was 25, I saw this play called Slut the Play. And in it, the main girl in the play had been sexually assaulted, but it was because he touched her in a way that was inappropriate. And I was like, wait, I thought sexual assault was just when you get raped. I didn't know rape was also. And I was like, wow, how am I 25 and just learning this information? And so I talked to these kids and I'm like, nobody taught me my no. Nobody gave me an example of how to be empowered and say no and be okay with that. And so I want my inability to do that, to be able to stand here today and say, I'm not just saying that because I don't have experience. I have experience. It's just like you guys. I got put in uncomfortable situations and I wish I had said no. So here's the information you have now and we can talk about how you can get out of those situations, how you can say no, how you can stand for yourself, what your rights are, what your boundaries are. You know, I wish I had had an example of somebody older than me, but the generations older than me, like when I would say things to my mom and her friends, which my mom is so empowered and amazing, but she had the knowledge she had. It's like, oh, this guy like walked by, he was like talking about my ass in a really inappropriate way, made me uncomfortable. And it's like, well, isn't that a compliment? And you're like, no, it's not a compliment. So yeah, just talking to them candidly about that and being like, I get it. I know what it's like to be a teenager. I had these experiences too. 
And I wish I had done them in a different way. Did you get any retribution at all or did you seek it? No, not at all. Not at all. I just kind of cowered away from it because I felt like their voice was so much more powerful than mine. I went to a school with 4,000 kids in it. It was huge. And I remember during the pep rally, the cheerleaders actually put on that song tag team back again, that rap song. And they held up posters that said tag team Tori in the middle of the rally in front of the whole school. Yes. And it wasn't even something that happened. That's where I was like, so no, I never did. I just let it go. I just cowered away from it. And then it became something where I was able to laugh at it because it wasn't something that hurt me. And I think that's where I realized I can use my voice for this because my body didn't get infiltrated on. I stayed safe. So it's a rumor I can laugh at. But what is so scary and so sad, and this is why I want to do the work with these kids, some of these kids do not get out of those situations and they still don't get retribution. They still don't get to say what really happened and they still have people go against them. And they have to deal with that kind of bullying and dealing with their body being taken from them in that way. So I think I realize I can do this work because... When I tell my story, it's not something that's crippling to me. You know what I mean? It's become this thing that I can roll my eyes at. But that's not the truth for everybody. And it's interesting because you had, I would imagine, the foundation of all the traveling you did and the exposure to so much in the world. So you're coming into a high school where those kids don't have that. They've all gone to elementary school together. They've all gone to middle school together. Their world is that contained. And that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) When I was in high school, there was a rumor spread about me that I had AIDS. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a large high school, too, 4,000 people. And unfortunately, I did go to elementary school with them and middle school. But I was fortunate enough to have parents that encouraged my extracurricular theater stuff in Seattle To me, school was always just the thing that you just have to get through. I was always looking for the larger thing. So at least I kind of had, I had a dismissal, even though it hurt. And even though I was like baffled and even though I still wanted popularity, I just laid low. Yeah. I'm just going to get through this time. I would have had no idea who to turn to with those kinds of rumors. Of course, we didn't have social media. Thank God. Yes and no, though, because maybe the benefit of being able to have a camera on hand at all times. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that prevents the impulsiveness of atrocious teenagers, but maybe it does. I don't know. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way because most of the stories you see are, you know, somebody taking pictures of a girl that's been drinking too much inappropriately and then it gets spread everywhere. But I do think there has to be an element of that where it's like, if I don't watch my behavior, who's videotaping? Who could put this on there? I mean, we've been seeing that in so many ways everywhere. It's like a tiny kernel of hope. I don't know. Maybe I just sort of cling to that sad idea. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. But I will say what's so cool, and I kind of already said this, is going to these schools now It's like the things these kids talk about weren't even on our radar. Right. You know what I mean? Like the conversations they're having. And that's another thing I talked to them too about. I'm like, it was hard to know who to go to in school because the problem with reporting anything to the people in your school is that when it comes to sex, a lot of adults are very uncomfortable talking to kids about sex. 
And if you're talking to them about assault, then, you know, the conversation about pleasure needs to be there too, but nobody wants to talk to kids about that. And so they don't really have many people to go to because some of these adults don't even know what the kids' rights are in this area. They just kind of want to brush it under. So unfortunately, these kids kind of have to be their own advocates and know their own rights to be able to show up with the information to a lot of these adults right now. And it's so cool because I see them doing it. It's like really empowering. If I ever had to go back to high school, which dear God, please don't send me back to high school. But if I did, yeah, I would want to be like one of them, you know? In my high school, if you got pregnant and chose to keep it, I guess, or maybe your parents made you keep it, I don't know, you were sent to another school, like a satellite school. Right. Just gone. Right. That is the level of the lack of conversation. Yes. No birth control. Or it just wasn't talked about. Like I remember in our sex ed class, our old ass teacher talking about blue balls being real. <laughs> oh my you God. Know? Like when you're like, what? And I'm like, what are blue balls? You guys are talking about testicles? <laughs> but I'm grateful for the advocacy that you do. And I hope that while change is always slow, your messaging is so important to kids and they will not forget that. You know, they won't forget your conversation, your vibrancy around it, too, you know, and your love and like support. That's really sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I always say to people who are like overwhelmed and they're like, I feel like it doesn't matter. I feel like my voice doesn't matter if I say this. And I'm like, if you get to one person, you've done something. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I feel like sometimes we get so focused on the macro of like advocacy work when really like the micro is very important. And a lot of people, forget that. Completely. My son is 10 and I want to be able to tell him how to love well. You know, I don't want him inflicting pain or hurt on anybody. And he's already overly confident. (laughs) So I don't know. But I just want him to be kind and considerate. Yeah. And I think especially with guys at that age, it's like, how do you override whatever the monster within Right. And I know everybody talks about how important it is that all males, like you would be surprised how many males show up to these conversations with Safe Bay about consent and assault. Like more teen males show up right now because there's a lot of confusion. They don't really know what their part is, where they lie, you know, is hitting on a girl inappropriate now? How can I do it? They're so confused. Young teen boys need to be a part of this conversation just as much as young girls. Completely. Otherwise, we have a bunch of Brett Kavanaugh's. Exactly. Exactly. We all know that guy. Yeah. And that guy is gross and excused. Yeah, exactly. And there isn't a lot of self-examination. I went to University of Washington after I graduated high school, which is another massive school. And it has like one of the largest Greek systems on the West Coast. Oh, wow. I lived in the dorms, but I would go sometimes to fraternity parties. And I was at a place in my life where I was waiting for people to prove to me that they were kind of awful. Yeah. And under the right circumstances, a lot of them were. Wow. I know. I was like, prove to me that you're awful. And part of that came from... I wanted to be a part of that system. Right. I wanted to be in a sorority, but I could not expose myself to that kind of female rejection. And so instead, I like internally, but proactively was judgmental and made a lot of assumptions. And some of them were true. 
but it was part of my own defense was like this weird offense. Yeah. It's so interesting how we choose to try and protect ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. The things we teach ourselves to do to stay safe. Yes. Our survival skills are so interesting because everybody has different tools. And what we do to stay safe, it's really just our animal brain kicking in of like, okay, I am in this new environment. This doesn't seem safe to me. What am I going to do? And you're like, I'm going to try to expose it. (laughs) Just only like internal confirmation. You're like, now you're nuts. So let me see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's wild. Okay, so our caller is Caroline and her subject is dating again. Oh, I'm really unqualified in this. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) I've been married forever. Yeah. And I know that I'm the kind of person that really loves the security of a monogamous, stable relationship. Yeah. So I don't know what that world is like, (laughs) but let's see. Well, I've been dating for a while now, so we'll see. Yes. Do you have a boyfriend? Are you like in a relationship? No, I'm actually single right now. I actually was just in a relationship. And the day before he took me to impromptu get my ring size to see, you know, about engagement rings, I found out that he was on a dating app. And I found out because he liked my friend's profile by accident. No. Yeah. So I've been single since then. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Did it break your heart? Were you totally blindsided or did you have an inkling? I knew he was this way in his past, but it was the whole, I'm different now. I'm different. I'm different. Every time I would go near his phone from the time we started dating, he was always very quick to not want me near his phone. And that is such a big red flag to me. Do you know what I mean? And I ignored that and I asked him about it. And I just kept ignoring it. And it's so funny because he's an ex-athlete. And I always had a rule, no athletes, because of this very reason. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, now that he's not an athlete, he's past that part. So there were some signs there that I ignored for sure. Was it an immediate cutoff? Were you just like, goodbye? Are you that kind of person? I normally am. So I had found out first that like he said he didn't have Snapchat and then he did. And it was so weird how it all kind of unfolded over the course of like six months. But I normally am like, okay, I'm done. That's it. Like, that's just who I am. I'm a very quick processor. I move on. But I felt that he wanted to be different. And I felt like it was a bad habit of his. I was like, maybe there's a chance nothing was physical. And I'm like, if you're willing to work on this, like, let's try to go to therapy together. I don't think he expected that. And I think he realized he couldn't be better. And so instead, then he started gaslighting me and making me feel like he couldn't trust me. And that's when I was like, okay, this has to be done. It's amazing that you recognized that. It was like a month that that whole thing was happening. And then the last one, I remember calling my mom and she was like, get out. Like, this is nuts. So it took a while. You know, because I'm a hopeless romantic too. I love being in a relationship. I was married once, only married for two years. I would love to be married, but it's like the wild, wild west out there. Yeah, my first marriage was like that. And we were in our 20s. We were too young to get married anyway. But it definitely went to a more proactive defense of like, well, you're crazy. You're a crazy, jealous actress. I don't know why you're so paranoid. And then it would also flip to another version of that, which is like, I can't live without you. What am I going to do without you? Yep, 100%. That's how people get you. 
Because everybody says, how did you stay? How did you stay? And it's like, because I genuinely felt like this person loved me so much and needed me so much that you're willing to work on all the other things. But then when you start reading about gaslighting and all these things, you realize like, oh, that's just the ploy of somebody being very unhealthy and using that against me. I think one of the misconceptions, I don't know, but it feels to me like the most manipulative people that have been in my life really don't know that they are. It's like whatever happen- is happening in their frontal lobe that comes out their mouth. Yeah. It feels like there is a belief there. And so the best gaslighters convince themselves that they're not doing it. But on a different subject, everybody finds ways to protect themselves. And I think sometimes people who are very manipulative built that skill to protect themselves from something. I'm not sure what. Everybody's different. But it's become their survival skill. And I agree with you. I think some people don't even know they're doing it most of the time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Caroline. Hi. Hi, guys. How are you? Great. Good. How are you? So nice to meet you both. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for your letter. And I feel incredibly unqualified in the dating world. (laughs) Tori is amazing. (laughs) But let's try to talk this all out. Will you tell us what's going on? I probably have infinite dating problems, but I'll try to narrow it down. There's one in particular that made me really want to ask you guys, especially like in hosting your podcast that I feel like I need some help with. For a little context, I was in a six-year long-term relationship and I came out of that a little less than two years ago. So I'm kind of just dating again now and I don't feel like desperate to be in a relationship. Was it your choice to end the relationship? It was not my choice. It was the kind of thing where we'd broken up a lot of times and Once it happened, it was, of course, like the best thing that has happened in my life, you know? Good. Yes. And, you know, it's kind of the thing where, like, he wants to be together again now, and I know it really wouldn't benefit either of us, but it it was that toxic, cyclical thing for sure. So it was definitely hard, but after, like, two years, I feel, like, now in a place where I'm like, I have capacity for, like, new love, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) 
So when I'm dating, like, I want it to be very intentional. I don't really care for a hookup. Like, I have a great time having sex alone. Like, I don't need someone else there for it. <laughs> like, if I if I meet somebody, I want it to be, like, a real connection, basically, is what I'm looking for. So tell us about the dates you've gone on. And, like, do you want to be celibate until you get married? Like, what are the boundaries? How do you want to define that idea? Because you mentioned it a couple of times, yes. which I love. <laughs> But what are those ideas? Because I bet that is part of a tricky communication along with other things. What are your thoughts? Totally. Yeah, my thoughts are jumbled. These are the two main things. It's like telling people about my work and then trying to navigate sex. Like sex for me, I love sex. I think people should have sex whenever they feel like. I personally don't believe that like by withholding sex, you can like make them like you more. None of that. I'm basically trying to not hook up with people at all, not as a means of getting them to like me, but just more to hopefully like faster filter out people who are looking for something that I'm not looking for. Basically, who are like just looking for sex. I figure if I like am not down, then they will eliminate themselves more quickly, right? Theoretically? Yeah, sure. I would think. I would like to know that you don't really like spending time with me and hopefully like not waste time with the wrong people. But I find that it just feels so hard to communicate it like do I communicate it I don't want to say it as a rule like well my strategy is to not have sex with you because then I'll know your real intentions because then I feel like they can just like fight through the strategy but I also like not mentioning it feels like they must be wondering like is this a religious thing is this like what the fuck is going on here because it's notable I'm not saying it's a bad thing but it's notable like if you're not having sex as like a 30 year old person whatever it's notable so I like really don't know how to navigate it. I don't even know if it's a smart thing to be doing. I'm interested to hear opinions. To me, it feels like it shouldn't come up until it feels natural to both party members. What do you think, Tori? I mean, I don't even know if all the shit has to be like laid out on the first date. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I feel like if you are standing in what you want and how you want to do it, And if you're in this situation, right, where somebody's starting to get close to that moment of maybe like you're going to, you know, be in a makeout moment or something and you're not ready for it, to be able to say like, you know, I'm really enjoying spending time with you, but right now I just got out of this thing and my priorities have changed. So I'm kind of doing dating a little differently and I don't want to move too quickly physically. I almost feel like that's kind of sexy because then it's like you owning your power and you saying it. Yeah. But I think you're right in a sense where it's like you don't want to sit down for dinner and be like, hi, nice to meet you. So just so you know, I'm not having any physical interaction with you tonight. It's like, wait, what? But I think like to say it in a very confident, secure way of like, this is how I'm doing things. If you're not down for it, that's fine. I'm setting this as a rule for myself, not just like out of nowhere, but because I've noticed I keep getting in this pattern of like guys they're not bad people they just want something different and what they want is casual and I keep getting in this thing where guys like they'll say they have feelings for me and I'm like trying to believe them but it just feels like words and eventually I like see them I'm giving them so much time until finally I'm smacked over the head with the reality that like they're really just in this for the sex this is a pattern Give us an example of like the structure of one of these things. You like match or whatever. Then you go like get coffee or you get dinner. Mm-hmm. Then how does it unfold? Then you agree to see each other again, maybe. Is that what yeah. happens? Yeah, I feel like I'm being a fucking lady about it. Like I feel like I'm trying to be a lady. <laughs> 
first of all, when I meet someone from a dating app, like I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to touch you. Like I don't want any of it. Like it takes so much for me to be comfortable physically with a complete stranger. You're just a stranger to me. So I don't even like kissing people. Even on a first date, I think a lot of people like to close a first date with a kiss. And I'm like, what? We've known each other for 25 minutes. Like, no. So we'll have, it's usually like going out for a drink, I feel like is the first thing. Second date's like usually getting dinner. And then very quickly, it's like all this kind of like romantically veiled thing. Like watching The Bachelor? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like they're doing the seemingly romantic stuff. It's not just like come over to my place right away. You know, we'll like go to nice dinners and I don't know, they're seemingly doing all the things that imply they're looking for something serious. And I talk to them about that. What are you looking for? Like, what are your dreams? What are your whatever? They always want to talk about building a family and like they're saying all the things that don't explicitly communicate, oh, I'm just looking for a casual time. Are most of your dates from dating apps? Yeah. See, here's the thing. I think a lot of people have found really great connections on dating apps. I have a couple that's a friend who have been married and they met on dating app. My sister met her wife on a dating app and they're an amazing couple. But here's the problem I have found with the men that I meet on dating apps. I feel like when you meet someone who's already addicted to what else is out there. Yes. Do you know how you like grab your phone just to look at Instagram and you're like, why am I even scrolling? Because you get addicted. And I think when you're addicted to like, well, she's hot, he's hot. Ooh, maybe there's someone even better. Like, wow. When you're addicted to scrolling, it's a problem. So it's like a self-selecting group that's on there. Yes. And that's why I was like, I don't want to meet someone again who's already addicted to the scrolling. Yeah. It's like somebody who is pretty happy or at least content with their job, yet still takes a bunch of interviews. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, what else is out there? What else is out there? Yeah. And it's not real. You're looking at people's best photos, Photoshop photos. Yeah. It's not real, but you become like addicted to it. That is a very good point. And the stakes feel low. You know what I mean? Like if you meet someone organically and you're really kind of drawn to them and intrigued by them, the stakes will feel higher. Yeah. The problem is getting to meet those people organically. Yes. Right. Where does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) It's a real catch 22. And Tori, I think you're totally right about the comparison addiction of like, well, she was cool, but like, what about that one? Right. The stakes are low for a lot of people when it comes to dating apps. And I think it can be exhausting. How could it not feel like a bit of a job interview? Mm-hmm. Right. So I wonder how we can work on you dating through more organic means, which truly is like the problem of the decade. Totally. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I don't know where to meet anybody. I feel like dating apps have made it worse. I really feel like they've changed dating culture. You know, like they came out under the guise of like, well, now you can meet anyone anywhere. But I feel like what's actually happened is that it's like now you can only meet people on the apps because the stakes are lower. If you're going to face rejection, who wouldn't want to face it on the apps like rather than in person? Totally. I really feel like it's changed how single people interact in the wild or whatever. But like I completely agree that I would prefer that. And I do think I'm struggling to like figure out how to get it going in real life. Especially having like isolated work, like working alone, working from home. And you had a breakup during isolation. Yeah. That's not to be discounted towards your sort of like moving on and society too. During quarantine, people were really ruminating on the past and feeling just like most of us, like less driven, kind of untethered and like, ah. And then kind of after that, I noticed a lot of people needing to get shit done, needing to make the decision. Should I get married? Should I be in a relationship? Should I move across the country? Should I quit my job? Like something snapped and everyone's like, we got to get this figured out, which puts a whole lot of pressure on all of us. And I think like a slow moving train is a healthier way to look at it, that we cannot make all these radical decisions. We shouldn't force ourselves. It's like we just want to get things going again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of an impossibility because things just don't work quite like that. Yeah. Tori, what do you think? I think it's hard. I think it's so hard. You know, it's hard to get out there. I think what you're saying is right. I think apps have made people a little lazier. But I think there is so much benefit in meeting someone in person. I mean, for me, like smell and natural pheromones is such a huge indicator if I even want to go out on a date with someone. Yeah. And so when you skip over that on an app and then they show up and when you hug them and you smell them and you're like, I would have never said yes to this date. And then you got to sit there for an hour of your time. But I know it's scary. I think we're also like very addicted to instant gratification. So I find for me when I'm single, which I'm single right now, the waiting process is hard for me because of the apps and because of the way life moves. It's like, okay, well, where is he? But back (laughs) in the day, we used to be a little like easier because we didn't have the apps. We didn't have social media. And we'd be like, well, I went out with my friends on this weekend. I didn't meet anybody. I'm doing my own thing on the weekday, blah, blah, blah. But now because we're so used to like instant gratification, we're like, well, when am I going to meet anybody? Where am I going to meet anybody? You know what I mean? And I think just like you're doing with no making out, like leaning into the whole like, well, I'm just going to go live my life. And if somebody's going to show up, they're going to show up. You know what I mean? It's hard. Are you on the apps right now? I am. I went on a date last night. Then I like shut them down. Like literally last night, I paused them because I'd been feeling so overwhelmed and so really drained, like drained, putting in energy with people you don't know. Yeah. Do you feel like you have this like pressure to be in a relationship right now? No, I really don't. I only thought is like, okay, well, I know it possibly takes a long time to find real connection. So like maybe I should be working at it when I'm not in a desperate place. But also maybe, like you said, like maybe I'm trying to rush something that it's just like it just takes time, like the slow moving train, like you said. I don't know. That like hit me in the chest. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to fabricate something maybe. It's interesting because you mentioned that when you go on the dates, you do want to know like their goals, like bonding over that kind of commonality. It might be just an interesting experiment to treat a date 
as just a super fun time. Like, I know that it in your head, it almost defeats the purpose because you don't want to waste time. At the same time, I wonder if you could treat a date, just have a completely different take on it. Yeah. Like, what was your favorite book growing up? Or something where the stakes are almost lower. Yeah. Just like getting to know a human sitting next to you kind of thing. If you want to. Otherwise, it's like joining. God, I don't know what people do. Like, <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> what do they do? Like a bar quiz night. Dude, I'll do it. A trivia you night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like some of those like group activities with some girlfriends. That sounds nice. Like if there's like a, I don't know, a bike ride group, like putting the feelers out in that way. Yeah. To just like be in a community as people that's not just like, oh, are we going to get married? Yeah. So okay. you can just gently, casually flirt like we used to. I know. Yeah. And also then you don't have to put these like rigid confines on yourself either. If you want to make out with something because you're feeling it, like the ball's in your court. You can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. I remember I started dating a guy once and he was like, my best friend told me that we can't kiss for like three months or something. It didn't feel like authentic because I was like, yeah, Are that's you weird. Coming up with this? Your friend coming up with this? Like, it's just like an arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, why aren't we just basing it on when we feel like it's right? To yeah. Kiss? Like, yeah. why are we going off of some whatever? And who is your best friend again? Like, this is so yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because I find myself in those situations where I'll maybe give in to something because I'm like, oh, well. And then it's like, well, no, just if you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you do, do. Yeah, I do feel like I'd been trying to be really intentional about it. Definitely had been a struggle for me when I was younger to identify like when I was having sex because I wanted to versus like I felt pressured to or whatever. So I do feel like I can discern that. And I felt like I was doing it because I wanted to and it felt fun. And like, this is a great time, whatever. And that felt true. But it I think when I'm intimate with someone, I do get more attached. It is a simple. Me too. And as classic as that. Yep. Yeah. 100%. I'll like stick around longer, I think, through bad treatment, hoping that they'll change their mind because I'm a little more attached and it's my problem. But this is the beauty of getting older. Yeah. Yeah. Like being more comfortable with your self-worth. I've been giving a little bit of this advice lately because I really believe it that it almost feels like the perfect time to travel if you can, mm. to take advantage of your lack of attachment right now, because that will come. And the refreshing feeling of perspective, of being able to nurture some of your own desires, it's a really, really good time for you to consider doing something like that if you can. What do you think about that? That like rings so true. I feel like the rest of my professional life before this, I definitely had no freedom. So you saying that it's like, yes, it is the time. And like, yeah, it is kind of silly to think that it's the time then that I'm like narrowing my sight so much on like, when am I going to find this person? Yeah. Like make a list of like top five places that you want to go to that you feel drawn to. Okay. You can do it because people, I think, get really overwhelmed with the idea of travel. You can do it on a budget. I mean, I've lived and lived. I wouldn't say I've lived in hostels. <laughs> But you survived hostels. <laughs> yes, I've survived some hostels. I've done like sweaty train journeys with my heavy backpack, like bumping into old ladies. 
My first trip was backpacking around Australia and I was in college and I was broke. I sold my old Honda and I had like 3000 bucks and my parents gave me miles for a plane ticket and I did it. And it was lonely. It was awesome. It was independent of me, made some great silly friends. But those were really important growth experiences that I can't do now. You know, got a kid. (laughs) But I would really encourage nurturing this time that you won't always have for you. Yeah. Yeah. And actually to piggyback on that, I'm having realizations as we're speaking. You know, I feel like I spent so much time wanting to like find somebody because like building history with someone felt so important and I wanted to meet someone young and I didn't want to wait till I was older to have a kid. And so I was fortunate enough where I did travel, but I feel like I did put myself in a position where I chose a relationship I wasn't so sure about over having experiences and doing things that I would have actually rathered. And then I'm not with those people today yeah, because I feel like I was trying to push something. Oh, yeah. And now here I am. I'm 38 and single, which is great. But like none of those things worked. I still don't have a kid yet. And I feel like what would have been more beautiful than to put myself in that position where I'm like, this is what I want to do. And then organically meet somebody on that path. Yeah. Rather than trying to fit squares into circles. And missing out on opportunities and then having to realize later that didn't work. Yeah. And now here I am starting over again. Yeah. Totally. And you also live in a city like Los Angeles where people, they want to stay young for a long time. And by that, I mean like the career is a prioritization and there's a lot of other shit that's happening. So relationship focus is back burner. I think that's so true. And I want you to have fun. I want you to like explore. I want you to like truly order some guidebooks. I'm kind of a guidebook freak. (laughs) I really do. I really love a good guidebook. I love pouring over them. I have a ton of them. They still make them, believe it or not. (laughs) They're still like books. They're not just downloads on the phone. We could do Norway. We could do Italy. We could do Canada. I'm writing these down. (laughs) I want recommendations. France. Go to Paris. France. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, like, I literally, yeah. I can come up with a reason not to. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's so exciting. Like, I know this is kind of a large idea right now to spring on you. So digest it for a second. But at the very least, get some guidebooks on yeah. a couple different countries and just start to look through them. That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. Just start to look through them. The seed can be planted. Plant the seed. Plant okay. the seed. And then just think about how you can nurture that side of yourself. In other ways, too. Yeah. Even if it's like road tripping around your area. Yeah. I love this advice because, I mean, what feels so true is that the answer is not in this other person, that the answer is in like just being more expansive within yourself. As soon as you say that, it's like, yes, that does feel true. It doesn't feel like it's like cracking some code on the app to like get at someone. It's like the answer is probably just like being more yourself. And think about it. The more you travel, the older you get, the wiser you get, the more you have to offer to yourself in a partnership, right? Like in our 20s, we wanted to meet that person. And 
we're way too young to meet our forever person in our 20s. Right. And then in our 30s, it's like, even when I look back at who I was at 32 versus who I was now, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like a totally different person. And then when I talk to people in their 40s, they're like, these are the best years of my life. And so totally, I feel like for whatever reason, we have this rush to find our partner. And I get that as a woman, kids get into factor, but we're able to do that older and older these days too. So if there is rush for any of those things, I'd say like, Put that stuff on the back burner too, you know? Yeah. If it's meant to happen, it's already happened. I can see that it kind of lights you up and it lights me up. Yeah. And I do feel like I've been giving this advice to people who are like, it almost feels like it hasn't occurred to them. Yeah. Like they have the means, they have the time, and it hasn't really occurred to them. And it's like, oh, which kind of feels indicative of what we've been talking about, about the big life decisions that need to be made right now. Yeah. This is your time. This is yours. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be awesome. Listen, I'm doing it. Good. Awesome. You guys are so damn sweet. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is great advice. Oh, thank you. So nice to meet you. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. 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 Tori, you are so lovely. <sighs> Thank you. I just adore you. Thank you. And let's please be in touch. I would love that. Much love. Bye. Bye.